is Coach the greatest mediocre gambler this generation has ever seen? We'll find out and discuss this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Iceman and Coach. Welcome to all the sports fans, degenerate gamblers, mediocre gamblers among you. It was a great weekend in NFL action. This is going to be an NFL-centric episode, and I want to bring in what I hypothesized to be the greatest mediocre gambler of our generation. Coach, welcome to the show, and congratulations to you. Iceman, victory is sweet, and I tell you what, they say to be a pro, you only need to, you know, you can only realistically expect to win maybe like 55% of the time. Like that's what pro gamblers do. I think I'm still hovering around 500. Probably we'll see later with the graphic. I'm not keeping track. Who keeps track, especially when you're terrible. But yeah, man, the, uh, the Jags pulled one out of the hat for me. And I am grateful. I just want to go over with the listeners very, very quickly about a Twitter thread that you and I were on. I posted earlier in the day, Jags 24-21, something like that. And I really just did it to see how many Chargers fans would get a little bit pissed off at that kind of a prediction. You know how Twitter is, right? People generally tend to get overreactive about things like that. And then the Chargers went up big. It was 27 nothing at one point. I actually wasn't watching the game and I saw some tweets come through on that thread and somebody said this aged well and it was another podcaster out there. And I thought, yeah, you know, it, it hasn't aged well. But I also said that it was a meaningless prediction because predictions like that are meaningless. Like at the end of the day, when some pundit says, I think it's going to be bucks by three or whatever, it doesn't really mean anything because the game still has to be played. And then I fast forwarded to the rest of the night and I saw the final score and thought to myself, well, it did age well. I didn't get the score right, but wow, it aged well. And then I thought, and then the coach won his pick. It was a glory day for us. And you were able to come in on the back end of that tweet and say, coach's pick of the week, losers, I believe is what you said. You know, it's, it's always funny. You see it. I've been on the receiving end of this where in your head, like, you favor a team or you think you got something figured out and someone you see a tweet like what yours is and someone like kind of book bookmarks that in their head and they're like i'm going to come back to that here in about two quarters when my team's kicking their ass and so then of course that person comes back along and well this aged well and there's nothing better than to be the third person to that party when it really does age well and that person spoke too soon and here i come uh to take the uh the to make the uh, final strike the death blow as i like to call it and there's nothing more satisfying than that you know i'm a little petty once in a while and so it, it was fun to kind of exercise that against a total stranger i don't even know who that person was exactly but i just love trolls and they, uh, this person wasn't even being a troll i think they were just pointing out this aged poorly which it did age poorly at that time but until the clocks ring zero the game is not over i should also mention as we are recording the Bucks Cowboys last wildcard game is happening over my shoulder. That seems to be a theme every single week. Unfortunately, we won't be able to keep that up every single week because football is almost over. 
But the first playoff game of the weekend was this Jags-Chargers game. And it was a game we talked about. It was your pick of the week. We'll get to that later in terms of your pick of the week, actually, for this week. But we were very high on the Jags in terms of rooting for them. It was a really great story. And we talked about the Chargers as well, that you were a little bit higher on them than I was. I've been sort of iffy on Brandon Staley as a coach, not necessarily that he doesn't know how to coach but that his coaching isn't getting the right results. And at the end of the day, in the NFL, winning matters, right? The Chargers look good for a a half and a half, basically, and then the Jaguars came back. And what I saw on the sidelines, and I want to get your opinion on this, was a complete masterclass by Doug Peterson to get his young team, his very young quarterback, first playoff game, down big, through two picks in the first half, to come back, stay calm, and Brandon Staley got outcoached. Yeah, so in my mind, Brandon Staley is the Kirk Cousins of head coaches. And what I mean by that is probably 60% of the teams in the league would take Brandon Staley right now. Like the results the Chargers have put forth in his tenure would be more than acceptable to a good portion of teams. The problem is, it seems like they are, uh, he's holding them back, right? That. You have a great quarterback like Justin Herbert, and he deserves to have an offensive coach that can maximize his abilities. And when you look, you know, the comparison to Kirk Cousins, you have a lot of tools on that offense. And the most important tool is lacking in a lot of ways. And you think that if you had like a dynamic playmaking quarterback, it would catapult them to the next level. And that's kind of how I how I see Brandon Staley. Now, do I think he deserves to be fired based on his the job he's done? No, I don't. But I think that if they want to maximize their potential with the young talent they have, I think they have no choice but to make a change. So I'm actually in disagreement with you. I feel like a loss like this, Brandon Staley, it's hard to bring him back at this point. And I'm not saying that process over result is a bad thing, because I do believe in the end, if your thought process is correct and you're doing the right thing, whether it's via analytics or your gut, And in the end, it doesn't work out. It doesn't necessarily make it a bad decision. We all go through those things in life where we know that's something I really should have done. It just didn't work out for me, whether it's a job interview, something like that. But in this case with Brandon Staley, he's got Justin Herbert, who I think we'd both agree is probably the guy you'd build a franchise around or maybe one of the two or three guys in the league. And I feel like he's squandering an opportunity by all of the analytics plays. Analytics has a place, but I do feel like there is a hybrid coach out there that can go with his gut and also look at the analytics and sort of read the situation based off of that. And I think when you saw the body language of the Chargers on the sidelines, he didn't have that team. I don't believe he has that team. When your best defensive player throws his helmet, you pick it up, give it to him, he immediately throws it again. He doesn't respect you. At least that's the way I see it. I think it's tough to bring Brandon Staley back because a 27-point lead, you cannot blow that in the playoffs. It's just, it's unconscionable. Yeah, and you know your thoughts on analytics, I do agree with that a little bit. And let's look at some of the, the great quarterbacks in the league, like even just in the, er- the era when analytics has been more prominent. You know, do you think that, you know, Tom Brady is, is being held to what the analytics say? Do you think Aaron Rodgers is being coached based off the analytics? Do you think Patrick Mahomes is being coached and decisions are being made based off the analytics? No. Analytics are great in a situation when you have lesser talent. Like, that's why we've all seen Moneyball, the Oakland A's. It, it was a way that a team with lesser talent and lesser and less capital found a way to compete with the big boys. To compete to a certain point... But at the end of the day, talent almost always wins out. 
which is why the Yankees are still really good and the Red Sox are really good and so on and so forth. So I think that analytics can take you quite a ways. It maximizes average talent. It puts a ceiling on great talent. And I think that's what you're seeing here. At the end of the day, though, I think you and I can both agree that the result has to happen. So going forward on fourth down, I'm actually at this point in my life where I think going forward on fourth down is warranted more times than not because I think that we have seen that when you get those first downs, and especially when you're leaving it up to your passing game, and we're talking like fourth and less than five yards, and it's field dependent, it's field position dependent, it's game dependent at the time of the game, all that kind of stuff, I get that. But there were some times where I felt like he was just getting almost too cute with the offense, and they're not getting the result that he's wanting. And I think at the end of the day, even if your process is right, Part of coaching and part of being a good coach is knowing that your team is going to get those results. And if your team continually underperforms in those situations, going to that well, even if it's something that you know is the right thing to do, it doesn't necessarily mean that it then is the right thing to do because your team is not getting those results. And I think every coach should know their team, know what they have, and you should be able to trust your team to do that. But I think that there is some merit to say, well, I've seen them continually not do this. Maybe I need to rethink my strategy every so often. And I just feel like in this situation, analytics are awesome. But at the end of the day, you blew a 27 point lead. And I've seen people say it's because he went away from his coaching gut and he went away from what he was doing. And he listened to all the people who were idiots and boomers out there. But I think that it is a hybrid of it, that some of it has to do with, is he the kind of coach that's going to get his team to the next level, I'm not sure that that's the case, especially with a guy like Sean Payton hanging out there. No, I, I agree completely. I think that analytics should be more of a of a supplementary piece. Um, you know what I mean? And I think that if there was a playbook that had all the answers for how to handle every situation, that would mean that any of us could just step into a head coaching role. And as long as we followed the book, we would be successful. And unfortunately, that's not the way it goes. You know, you have to make those gut decisions. You, you have to make decisions based off experience and being in those moments, those big moments, especially multiple times and big games. And that's why you see more often than not the veteran coaches that have been there before having success. And it's not just because they have those those experiences from those big moments, but they know how to to use the talent they have in the best way possible. Yes, they still they'll peak at analytics. Absolutely but they know when to trust their playmakers to make plays. And, and that's really the difference, I think, between that upper echelon level of coaches and everyone else. And for Doug Peterson to outcoach this guy, when I think that if you look at it top to bottom, he's got less talent on his roster. I think that Trevor Lawrence is in his second year, but he's not near where Justin Herbert is, obviously. I mean, Justin Herbert has so much talent. You put Justin Herbert on so many the teams in this league with a better coaching situation, that guy's probably in the AFC Championship game. And I know that that's, it's not fair to say that because is that necessarily true? But if you think about where would the Patriots be if Justin Herbert was their quarterback instead of Mac Jones, right? And I think that that's a fair assessment of both Mac Jones and Justin Herbert. Like what would happen if a guy like that had Justin Herbert? And here's Peterson again with his quarterback struggling in the first half. Trevor Lawrence threw two picks in that first half and he looked like a guy who was in his first playoff game. And you thought, okay, every player goes through these growing pains. And then the coaching steps in. This is a Super Bowl winning coach who obviously knows how to coach his ass off. And he did that. And for them to come away with that win, it was franchise defining, quite frankly. No, I agree. It definitely set them on the path, man. And it was really exciting to see. And, and no, kind of no matter what happens this week, I think that that was a statement when 
that's going to really catapult them throughout the offseason and give them the momentum they need to build uh, going into next year. And, you know, and so, and you mentioned it a little bit too, to circle back a second. Do you think that Sean Payton's going to be the guy that maybe steps in and takes over the job with the Chargers? I feel like Sean Payton is not going to go to a franchise like the Chargers. I firmly believe that the Chargers are in that snake bit territory because they just feel like a franchise that can't seem to get over the hump. Think of all the years, the Hall of Fame years that they had with Phillip Rivers, never could make it even to a Super Bowl, let alone win a Super Bowl. They've got Herbert here. They're blowing 27 point leads. I mean, this is what the third highest lead blown in the playoff history. It's not where you want to be as a franchise. And then they've obviously had a lot of years where they haven't been any good. And Sean Payton is coming off of a run with the Saints where I think he got a little bit too much credit for being a genius, but obviously he's a very good head coach. I think he'd want to go to a situation with a franchise that maybe has a little bit more of a pedigree. And I know Denver is the team out there. You and I both agree on John Elway being an iffy executive, but obviously they have had success there. I, I don't know if I see Sean Payton I don't want to say slumming it up with the Chargers, but it seems a little beneath him. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you might be right there. Uh, kind of a, a Colts fan's dream. What if Sean Payton and Aaron Rodgers end up in Indianapolis? How, how would that be, right? But the only thing I have against that is the Colts need to build like from the bottom up. And I think just recycling another uh, quarterback that's on the back end would not be uh, the recipe for success there. But speaking of uh, franchises with a pedigree, how about the G-men, the New York Giants? I told you that this was the fool's gold bowl. Like this was a game and I felt it very, very strongly that the Vikings seemed like a team that were going to lose in the first round, even with the home game. Now they got the Giants and the Giants have kind of had a great season, but they're not a team that instills a lot of confidence in you. But I'm going to tell you right now, the way that they played over the weekend, they were well coached. Danny Dimes looked like a franchise quarterback. Saquon Barkley was running like a guy who was in his first playoff game and wanted to. He was hungry. That team outplayed the Vikings. And I think that it was a perfect visual for the Vikings for Kirk Cousins to throw a three yard pass on fourth and eight last play of the game. That's about as well as the Vikings could go out when you think about the season that they had. Everybody touted them for being 11 and 0 in one possession games. A lot of those games they should have lost if you really think about it. Yeah, that was the mo most Kirk Cousins play ever, I think. And you said it, man. Great coaching. The Giants won that game because of coaching. And coaching goes beyond the X's and O's. I think all of these guys know how to coach the game of football. I think what maybe is more important than anything else is having the ability to motivate billionaires, basically, um, to get these guys to show up every day and take it seriously and play with a certain level of effort and intensity week in and week out for five months or whatever it is. And, uh, you know, the Giants, you know, they've they've really kind of been on a, it was a grind for them. I mean, they started out not, not you know, it was a little iffy, you know, and everybody's like, and, and then they, they've really kind of hung around and made fools of all of us. Brian Dayball seems like the kind of guy who's got that team, and he is the antithesis of Brandon Staley. And yes, he's a new coach, and you have a lot of success, but Brandon Staley took over that team with a situation that they got Justin Herbert, right? And they've been sort of on the cusp of being good. Dayball goes from the Bills to the Giants, and the Giants have been the laughingstock for the last two years. I don't think that that's an understatement to say that. Everybody had written off Danny Dimes, although I thought he was very, very athletic, but maybe not a franchise guy. And Dayball comes in, and they could have won 10 games this year had they not tied with the Commanders. So that's a remarkable turnaround. And then they win their first playoff game. 
And I think that it is 100% on him, his personality, the way that he coaches, not just the X's and O's. He's got that locker room in the palm of his hands. And isn't that what you want out of a head coach? No, 100% it is. And and I think that's really the secret sauce. When you can find that, you've got, I mean, I, I, it's magic. It is magic. And I think that Doug Peterson has that going on right now in Jacksonville. Obviously, he has that going on. And much like Jacksonville, I think that's a win that no matter what happens uh, this week, it, it kind of builds that momentum and it gives them something to to build on in the offseason. Now, the question I have to you is no matter what happens to the Giants this time, right, this this playoff, they have a decision to make now about Daniel Jones. And I think you've seen what his possible potential could be. It's almost as if he's resetting his career. And I know I've said that for other guys like Sam Darnold having Adam Gase as his head coach was it was a detriment to his play. He couldn't recover. And I know he had some good weeks at the end there with the Panthers, but the Panthers are a nowhere organization. Sean Payne's probably not going there either, but either way, Sam Darnold couldn't resurrect his career. Look at Josh Rosen, never really got a chance, but never could latch on anywhere. A lot of times when guys get to this point in their career, they're done. Daniel Jones seems to have found a situation in which he can thrive. And this is the first year in that system with a healthy Saquon. I think the sky could be the limit for this team. And my question to you, if you're the GM, do you keep Daniel Jones? Right now, yes. Now, I was higher on Daniel Jones coming out than a lot of people, uh, but I say yes. I think you hit your wagon to Daniel Jones and and Brian Dayball, and you let them build things up and, and see where it goes. You have a young enough roster uh, with a new head coach, and I think you try to build something here. Uh, if maybe if you know you wait and see if next year things are a little rocky, maybe you look to draft a, a quarterback next year, possibly, but. I see no reason right now to turn away. I think you got to put faith in the kid and give him a chance. And now, granted, I'm not a millionaire owner that is dependent on this going well. I'm not a GM whose job relies on it, but I I think you got to get the kid a chance. And I think you want to get him on a team-friendly deal because I think he might be coming up on extension time. And I don't think you want to pay him an exorbitant amount of money right now because this is one year. Is it an aberration? Is it an outlier? see what next year holds. But if they make it all the way to the Super Bowl or something like that, then it becomes even more difficult because this is a guy who can clearly motivate the team and get there. And I think that they could be onto something there. But I want to ask you now about the Vikings. You and I both, when we first started the show, even before it became Iceman and coach, I think we both said, how many teams in the league would take Kirk Cousins at their quarterback? I don't think we were wrong to say that a lot of teams would take him as their quarterback. But I think the fundamental question now becomes, Is he the kind of guy that can be the guy? And Kevin O'Connell, I believe, is the coach. He kind of reminds me of a Staley. Is he the kind of coach? He's very, very good offensively. Obviously, that team put up great numbers. But is he the kind of guy who can have a little bit of that man Campbell in him, right? A little bit of the bite the kneecaps in him to get this team over the hump? Because talent-wise, they have no business losing to a team like the Giants. Very similar to the Chargers. And where do you think the Vikings go from here? Because it seems as if they can't get past this peak, which is one of the best records they've had in quite a while. Yeah, with Kirk Cousins, I would say he is a he's a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. And like I said, more often than not, a lot of teams would take that. But when you're putting together the type of season they did this year and you're losing games because you have a quarterback that cannot make dynamic plays when the game is on the line, you've got to start considering making a change. What that looks like, I'm not really sure. I mean, because they're not going to have a very high draft pick. Uh, do they try to look to make a change in free agency? I don't know. But the thing is, is like kind of also the whole argument, the devil, you know, like, in, you know, and Kirk Cousins is that 
You know, a guy right now that's playing that I think is very similar to Kirk Cousins is Dak Prescott. I mean, he, he's good enough most of the time, right? But still hasn't really asserted himself as, as a big-time quarterback that wins big-time games. And the crazy thing is, is Kirk Cousins has about 10 years of that, of, of being a guy that has not been able to win those big-time games. And it's really puzzling to me, truthfully. I, I don't know where they're going to go. I could see why it's like all reliable. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But you could argue very easily that the fact that they got knocked out in the first round of the playoffs, that it is broke. And that's where these teams come to this sort of crossroads of what do we do? Because to your point, where do we go from here? And switching quarterbacks, no matter who it is from, I mean, the Patriots obviously went from Tom Brady to Mac Jones, and that's a huge chasm in talent because Tom Brady's Tom Brady, right? Or you could go from a bad guy like Sam Darnold to Zach Wilson. You could go from crap to crap. Either way, you have to have a game plan of how it's going to go. But that's the thing. There's no guarantee on the back end. So while Kirk Cousins maybe isn't the guy that's going to get them to a Super Bowl, they now have to take a risk and try to find the guy that's going to be that guy. The 49ers, for their part of this, they thought that they had the guy in Jimmy G. They got to a Super Bowl, and they're obviously not convinced, right? So they take Trey Lance. Well, Trey Lance has a lot of growing to do, so he's not guaranteed to be the guy, and they have a win-now team in front of them. And what do you do in that situation? Because the Giants maybe feel like they have a win-now team if they add a piece here or there. The Vikings had a 12-win season, and do you move on? And if you move on, are you conceding defeat, basically? Are you saying that this is it? The window's shut. Oh, man, I don't know. You said it, though. It's a gamble because it, you don't know, if, especially if it is a, a young quarterback, a rookie um, if you try to add a rookie to that roster and we're in a win now mentality, it's a risk, man, because, you know, Kirk Cousins is a win most of the time quarterback. He's a consistently make the playoffs quarterback. He obviously is not a win the big game quarterback. And so the question, you know, do you cash in making the playoffs for the next five years for maybe winning one Super Bowl? I don't know. That's that's a question that I guess there are it's a question they're going to have to answer. And, you know, the Seahawks or not the Seahawks the Niners, like you said, they're in the same situation. And, you know, I don't think Brock Purdy's done a great job, but I don't think he's the answer. Not not with the roster that they have long term, most likely. But who who goes there? You know, it's funny. This playoff field has so few teams that feel set at quarterback, whereas I think you and I for the last what? 20 years or so since the beginning of the 2000s. If you think about guys that have been on those teams forever, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger, Phillip Rivers, Eli Manning, Drew Brees. Drew Brees right. Yeah. All those guys were on their team for a decade or more. And here we are in this playoff field. And you and I just named off three, possibly four, maybe even five teams that are going to be possibly in the market for a quarterback next year. They're in the playoffs this year and they're not sure. Actually, just looking at it, it looks six teams if you look at this. Niners and Seahawks, though, right? You said Brock Purdy's probably not the guy. But how do we know that Trey Lance is the guy? We don't. Exactly. And so if Brock Purdy takes them to a Super Bowl, that becomes a very, very difficult proposition to move on from him. Even though you've got the number four or three pick in the draft sitting there and he's hurt. If Brock Purdy can do what he's doing with this offense, and maybe you'd say, well, imagine what Trey Lance could do. Yeah, but now you have a guy who's been with the team for almost a full year, taking reps with the first guys, making it to a Super Bowl. That's invaluable experience that he now has. Um, I think we have a caller. Nick Foles is on line one. That's way different, man. Like Nick Foles comes in 
at the tail end of his career and cashes in with a team that obviously was playing behind him. Brock Purdy is Mr. Irrelevant right here. And I get it. There's going to be a lot more tape on him next year. But if he's not playing that badly this time around, usually what happens is third string guy. I mean, how many third string guys have we talked about this season who have not performed well or have not performed well once they get to a certain level? Bailey Zappi got figured out in the Bears game. Cooper Rush would have gotten figured out had Dak Prescott not come back. Skylar Thompson for the Dolphins. I actually remember his name this time. Even though he played well this week, they would have figured him out over the long term. It always happens. But so far, Brock Purdy seems to be just getting better and more confident in this offense. Well, and what helps is when you have great pieces around you and an offensive-minded head coach who just comes from, he has a great pedigree, you know, Kyle Shanahan. And uh, that helps a lot, you know. I mean, let's look at Jared Goff, right? Uh, when he was in L.A., I mean, look what they did with him. And I mean, I think credit to Jared Goff. He did a great job at Detroit with a coach that many would say was not regarded as an offensive genius by any means. He's your kind of guy, though. Maybe a motivational genius, but it's tough. And I think what's really great, as opposed to like what we've been used to over the last 20 years, a lot of backup quarterbacks, second three, second string, third string quarterbacks have made an impact in a positive way for a lot of teams this year. A lot of teams. And usually it's the kiss of death, man. If your starter gets hurt and you have to bring in whoever, I mean, it's usually a, a huge, gigantic drop off from one to two. And I don't know if that means that the talent pool is a little deeper. I don't know if that means that these offenses are and these coaches, you know, their systems are catered more to just plug and play. We talked about that a little bit last week, I think, you know, I, I'm not sure what the reason is, but it's been fun to see, though, teams be able to remain competitive without their you know, franchise guy. And it's not even that all the teams have it in common that they have like a stellar coach. I mean, I was surprised that Cooper Rush did so well with Mike McCarthy, the way that he has coached that team the last couple of years. And yes, right now, obviously they're having a great season, but he's not a guy who instills a lot of confidence in me. But I think that coaching does matter. Kyle Shanahan. I mean, you could make the argument that Pete Carroll started a career backup this year as his starter. And maybe Geno Smith is the kind of guy who was a career backup left for dead. I mean, he really got the Josh Rosen treatment. Once he got punched in the mouth and his jaw broken, that was it for his career, basically. And then what, eight or nine years later, after breaking all those records at West Virginia, here he comes and he has the kind of season that he had. Now, they're not stacked with talent. They could not keep up with the 49ers top to bottom in that game. They kept up for a half, and then the better team came out on top and really whooped them in the second half. But Pete Carroll, guy who's been around the block, he's a Super Bowl winning coach, national championship winning coach. He's the kind of guy who can motivate. And clearly he motivated this team to sneaking into the playoffs and getting a 4,000 yard season out of Geno Smith. I mean, that's right there is coaching. And I think that it does come down to that. Like if you have a bad coach, Joe Judge could get nothing out of Danny Dimes. Brian Dayball comes in, they're in the divisional round. That's obviously an indictment on Joe Judge. And then we saw what he did in New England. So we have a lot of proof on Joe Judge. Right. And I got, it is, it's a, it's a testament to, to Pete Carroll and what he did in Seattle with, uh, Geno Smith and the successful season that Geno had. It's great to see. I mean, it, it, I like seeing those guys that have kind of grinded and grinded and grinded and then they get their moment to shine. And And he took advantage of it and had a great year. And it, it is interesting to see what these coaches who maybe are regarded as really good coaches, what they do when the big piece leaves, you know. And I don't think we can quite make a determine on like Belichick yet without Brady. I mean, I think he's done okay with what he's had, but you know, to see what these guys do when their franchise quarterback departs. I mean, Sean Payton struggled, right? When when Drew Brees left, I mean, things changed 
dramatically in New Orleans. Uh, you know, we've seen it several times. Not everyone has an Aaron Rodgers uh, sitting on the bench waiting to plug in when the legend ahead of him retires. And there was no guarantee that Aaron Rodgers was going to be as good as he was. Remember when he started, he'd been on the bench for, what, three years? He got drafted in 06. We didn't know. Aaron Rodgers came in and was excellent, basically, right from the jump, basically. And that's not a guarantee. But the Niners look really, really good. And we'll talk about them a little bit later. Let's move on to the Bills and the Dolphins. I have to admit, this was a game that I thought was basically a buy for the Bills. And the Dolphins and your boy, Mike McDaniel, they played scrappy. They came back from 17 down. Skylar Thompson is not good, but as a friend of mine once said, he has a little bit of fuck it in him and you gotta have some respect for that. I mean, he knows he's not Tua. The Dolphins would have won this game with a healthy Tua. And there's a lot of narratives around Tua that I wanna get to in a little bit, but what did you make of this game? Because to me, the Bills should have wiped the floor with them and didn't. Does it say more about the Bills going forward or does it say more about the Dolphins and their coaching? I think it says more about the Bills. I feel like here, kind of down the stretch, they've just been they've just been doing enough to win. They've been sneaking by a lot of teams. They haven't looked great by any means, which is concerning. But you do have to give some credit to the Dolphins, especially, you know, with a backup quarterback, Donovan Tua, and a first-year head coach. But you know, I think they play hard and I mean, everybody plays hard to freaking playoffs. That's not anything profound, but I'm nervous about the bills moving forward. I feel like they've had a lot of things go their way this year on and off the field that have sort of kept them where they are uh, standings wise and, and so forth. But uh, again, it's more of an indictment on the bills and, and the direction they're headed. And maybe, maybe it's for the best. Maybe it's going to keep them sharp. Uh, it gives the coaches something to kind of uh, coach them hard on week to week where like last year they were freaking killing everybody and then ran up against the Bengals and, and kind of ran out of gas. Uh, maybe this workman like grind it out mentality is, is going to benefit them. We'll see. Admittedly, I thought that they were going to take a lot of momentum from everything with DeMar Hamlin and take it into the playoffs, especially against the team that they they should be beating by a lot based off the fact that the quarterback is who he is. I mean, your third string quarterback, if you're a Super Bowl caliber team, you should be taking care of business, especially at home in the playoffs. And I was underwhelmed by their performance. I mean, they look good at the beginning, but Josh Allen I think he's supremely talented and he's a great quarterback, but I think that he has a little bit of YOLO in him, if that makes sense. And three fumbles, two interceptions, and not all of them were turnovers, but I think he accounted for three turnovers in the game and they still won. It's not going to cut it against a team like Kansas City. Shoot, it might not even cut it against the Bengals next week. And it is a little bit concerning to me that they only rolled that momentum for one week. It really only lasted against the Patriots. And it shouldn't be that. You got to ride that out. And it's like this team has so many things to motivate them. And yet this happened. And again, a win is a win. It doesn't matter whether you win by 30 or three, you win. But every week that the playoffs go by, the teams and the competition get tougher. And are the Bills capable of stopping the bleeding like this? Because a performance like this against any of the other teams in the playoffs right now is probably not going to cut it. And, and not that anyone is at this point, but I don't think that Josh Allen is is close to 100%, uh, which I do think is playing into what we're seeing a little bit. And two, like you said, the YOLO stuff. Yeah, he's got a little Brett Favre in him, man. He's got a little bit of the old gunslinger in him where he just kind of wings it. And, uh, you know, and that's one of those things that with someone with that talent, yes, you'd hope they could rein it in a little bit, but you just kind of, you got to take the good with the bad, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you do, but it's just, I don't know. Last year, 
it seemed like Josh Allen went from he's finding it to he found it, right? Like this is the guy, he's gonna be just statistically off the charts. Patrick Mahomes like and all that, even that, that divisional battle that they had in the playoffs last year that changed the rules and everything. And I guess I've been underwhelmed. It doesn't mean that they can't find that, but just a weird, weird performance to me. But the Dolphins obviously have an interesting offseason coming up. They have committed to Tua next season, which I think is the smart move. But off the field, Tua Tungavailoa has had a lot of things go on in his life, in his football life this year. All of them have been in his head. And I don't mean that he's mentally soft or anything. I mean that he's had, what, three concussions, possibly four this season. The debate now is about whether he should ever play football again. And unlike last week when you talked about the fact that DeMar Hamlin and all that, it's not an indictment on football. This right here, I think, is the kind of decision where you have to ask, is continuing to play this game okay for you in your life? And I want to hear your thoughts on that as somebody who played football, had concussions, has children, and just how would you feel if you were somebody close to Tua and cared about him? Well, first of all, I think that this is a decision that Tua and his doctors and his family need to make together. I don't think that the NFL or the Dolphins should get involved in this decision unless they have doctors tell them, um, strongly advise them that it is not safe for him to play. And he just goes and finds one kook somewhere that's going to clear him. Assuming that's not going to happen, I I think you got to let the decision lie with, with Tua and his family and his doctors. What would I tell Tua if I were a friend of his? Man, ultimately, it's it's his life. And I think I would tell him, do what makes you happy. Uh, if your family is what makes you happy and you want to make sure that you're around and, and in, around and in a sound state of mind for your family for a long time, then, then you should make the decision that lends itself to that, which would be to probably stop playing football. If playing football is what makes you happy more than anything else and, and you get cleared to play, then play football. You're the one that's going to have to live with the decision you make at the end of the day, not me. So ultimately, I think that and it might be a cop out, but I think he should do what makes him happy. I I don't think it's a cop out. I think it's just such a conundrum because this is not a knee injury. This is his head. And this is something that could affect his life down the road. Football and just sports in general are brutal because they get rid of you so early on in your lifetime. You and I are almost 40 years old. We feel like we still have a lot of quality left in our life, right? Like we're maybe at the halfway point or less in our life. Tua is going to end his career at some point, whether it's right now or whether it's 10 years from now, and he's going to be where we are and his best moments will be behind him. And it's difficult for the athletes. I'm sure if he thinks about it, playing football would be something that would make him happy. But man, I can't imagine being put in that position thinking about, well, if I play the game that I love, maybe I won't be the same guy. Because the next time my head hits the turf or somebody hits me in the wrong way, I could be gone. My mental faculties could be gone. There's so many factors that factor into it. And I know I saw a lot of fans who were talking about Tua's got to play, Tua's got to play. And man, fans just, we're selfish, we're binary. And if, if you really are listening to this and you're a fan and you think that these players owe it to you to go out in the field, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I could not have said it better myself. I love hearing you say that, man. I love it when the Iceman gets gets a little fired up. Uh, we, need, we need some more fireworks out of the Iceman here. But, yeah, it's tough, man, because these guys are competitors, um, and it just pumps through their veins. And I think that it's tough for them to see life beyond football, even if they have a family and, and all that stuff. And, I mean, 
think of almost anyone that's highly successful in their field. I mean, they they are laser focused, man. Just tunnel vision. Uh, and they don't see a lot or care about a lot outside of that. Almost every decision they make in their lives is geared towards their success and whatever their chosen obsession is. And pro athletes aren't any different. And uh, unfortunately, they probably pay more of a price than, let's say, uh, some sort of crazy investment banker on Wall Street does or whatever, you know, because those guys aren't taking the physical beating that, uh, you know, a NFL football player is. But it's it is it's a conundrum. You hit the nail on the head right there. And that's why I think that you just got to say, hey, like, talk to talk to your healthcare professional and, and do what makes you happy at the end of the day. A guy who I think gets it is Lamar Jackson now. Speaking of fans, there's a lot of fans who have been in his business because of the announcement that he made talking about the state of his knee and how it was very unstable. And I thought that RG3, who's on the broadcast right now, tweeted the other day about what he decided to do with his situation. And he's like, you can't just go put a brace on it and everything is okay. He went and played for his pride and for his brothers and all that. And it, as he put it, changed the trajectory of his career. Lamar Jackson is at the point now where he hasn't gotten paid yet. He has not secured that generational wealth that you and I have talked about. And it sounds like he is putting that ahead of whatever the team needs right now. And I think that that is a solid decision, especially if he is still hurt. He's got to watch out for himself because the NFL is not going to do it. And clearly the fans aren't going to do it. And could the Ravens have won this game against the Bengals? Yeah, they could have. But I think that he made the right call here. Do you feel the same way? Or do you feel like Lamar Jackson owes it a little bit to the franchise because they're going to pay him a lot of money? No, I don't think that uh, Lamar Jackson owes anything to the franchise in this case. And I'm not typically a player first guy. I don't like me first people. But at the same time, you know, what are the Ravens without Lamar Jackson? Now, they're fortunate enough to be a pretty, a, a traditionally solid franchise that's usually competitive regardless of their roster. But in, in most cases, you know, without your star player, what do you have? You know, that guy's well-being, your cash cow is hooked to that player in particular. They owe him more than he owes them, in my opinion. I mean, he's the one going out there and putting himself on the line. All the players are. Uh, week after week, year after year, so on. Kudos to to Lamar, man. Like for I think taking a stand, and maybe you'll see this, uh, you know, kind of set a new precedent for guys, you know, especially you know, prioritizing their health a little bit, uh, especially in a situation like this where I mean, Lamar virtually has nothing to gain by you know going out and playing because you know, God forbid, he did suffer some sort of injury. He's he's going to be RG three, and not that RG three is making a bad living by any means. I'm sure he's doing just fine for himself. But I, I bet if you asked him in his most honest moment, he would tell you that he wishes he probably would have handled things differently. And so he could still maybe be playing the game. Oh, I think RG3 100% believes that. And I think his tweet sort of lent itself to that. And I have to say, I think having that kind of introspection is really, really great for RG3 because he's been put in that category of being a bust. And this is where I think the fans, again, don't quite get it. Like looking back in hindsight, he made the wrong decision. He played for the fans and the fans don't really give a shit about you. Like once you're gone, you're gone. And I just feel like Lamar Jackson, call him selfish, call him me guy, whatever you want. But you know what? He's healthy and he's looking out for his backside because the NFL is not going to do that. And we both friggin know that. Oh, it's a mature it's a mature decision, man. Mm-hmm. I give him credit for that. It's an absolutely mature decision that you don't see a lot of no. uh, a lot of people his age that are in this situation that he's in. They typically don't make 
you know, a, a, the mature choice. No. Uh, more often than not. No, they really don't. And I, I agree with you. That's a good way to put it. I didn't think about it that way from a maturity standpoint, but I think that that 100% is true. But even still, your boy, Joey Burrow, nearly lost this game, but I realized something as I was watching this, and I have to give you kudos. Last week, you said how difficult it is to beat a division rival having just played them. But then I thought even added on top of that, playing a division rival for the third time in a season, that's really, really difficult. And I think that when it comes down to it, the Bills game and the Bengals game maybe seem like they should have been layups and gimmies, but what they were is a third divisional game. And at that point, you got a lot of tape on these guys. There's a rivalry brewing. And I think that the Ravens came out and played their brand of football, very, very scrappy. John Harbaugh made some mistakes during the game. Obviously, it's always going to happen, but they had a chance to win at the end. But what set this game apart was a 98-yard fumble recovery from the Bengals. And the guy who, who recovered it was a Hubbard, I believe, hometown guy. Cincinnati guy like what a great moment for him but you just cannot give up a 98 yard fumble recovery like you just can't do that yeah that's that's a backbreaker and you know what it was is it was traditional AFC North football man like look at it man like Cincinnati Pittsburgh Baltimore Cleveland just tough tough cities I'd love to see him someday Go find 40 guys in the stands, put the shoulder pads and helmets on them, let them go out there and play. It would be ugly football, but man, it'd be tough. I'd love to watch it. I think that next season we need to make a road trip to one of these places and you need to go on location and start interviewing some of these AFC North football fans of yours. I would I would absolutely love to, man. Like I I, I am certain, I am certain that like especially the fans in those cities in particular are some of the most passionate fans in the NFL. They would probably fall into the category that that I like to refer to as degenerates. I'm I'm sure they would qualify in most cases, but just, I mean, just great NFL cities though, at the same time, man, those four cities, despite, you know, the lack of success in Cleveland, they got a passionate fan base. You know, Cincinnati has not had a ton of success until recently. uh, And you've had sort of the mainstays in Pittsburgh and Baltimore. And just to see kind of now three, you know, I don't know, man. It's just good. I like to see, I like the toughness, man. I just, they should just play the division championship in like 30 degree weather in the snow somewhere in the middle of Ohio. Which is basically the antithesis of everything the NFL wants to do because they have the Super Bowl in a warm weather climate or a dome. <laughs> with a steel mill like in the background with smoke billowing out of it. And I want guys in the stands with like their big coats on with like the flat caps and smoking cigars. Shit, why don't you just have more leather helmets while we're at it? Hey man, whatever it takes, it'll be a throwback game. Oh man, I think we should make this happen next year. You in the AFC North Territory with a microphone could be quality content. You can even take Ryan with you, see how that goes. He'd fit, he'd fit right in. Sure would. It would be entertaining. So moving on to next week, we have obviously the Bucks and the Cowboys playing behind us. That result is not determined yet, although it is 18-0 Cowboys right now, which is somewhat of a surprise because the Cowboys hadn't really come in playing all that well and they get a road game. We said it was a trap game, but they're playing up to their potential. So good for them. However, the result of this game doesn't affect next week's game. So I wanted to take a look at the slate next week because we got some bangers. So Bills and Bengals. This is a rematch of the DeMar Hamlin game that they never got to finish. So we don't actually have a way to know whether one team played better than the other. There's not really a lot of tape on this game either. It's a fresh matchup at this point. And both teams are coming off of a divisional game where they both didn't look their best. And now they get each other and they're 
boy, are they going to have to play up to par if they want to beat one or the other. So one thing that is not talked about often, and I don't know how true this thought process might be, but we talked about how close the Bills-Dolphins game was and how close the Bengals-Ravens game was. And that it was kind of unexpected that they might be that competitive. And do you ever wonder if, like, let's say the Bills, maybe they kept a few tricks in the bag to keep it off film because they, you know, hoping that just talent alone, they would have enough to get by with, with some more simple stuff, some of their base offense, defense, just enough to get by, keep some of the good stuff off film for this week against the Bengals and maybe the same with the Bengals. Now, that being said, I don't think in the NFL, I don't think you can afford to do that necessarily because the margin for error, even between the best team and the worst team is still pretty small in most cases. So I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but it's something to think about. And going into this game, I will I will make the Bills. They're an honorary AFC North member because Buffalo's kind of one of those tough cities too. The game being in Buffalo, I think is going to be tough. But God, man, I tell you what, if there's two quarterbacks that you told me I could like go hang out and have a beer with, I think Joe Burrow and Josh Allen would be up there for sure, especially Joe Burrow. You know this. And I, I think it it's really going to come down to how those two play. And that might be the obvious thing to say, because uh, I know there's a, but there's, there's a lot of other guys on the field that can impact the outcome. But the way those two guys play is going to dictate how this game goes. I agree, and I think it's going to come down to which one of them has less Brett Favre in them during the game. Yeah, fewer turnovers, hundred percent. Sure. And maybe that's just you know stereotypical uh, analysis. Well, don't turn the ball over, and that's obvious. But at the same time, these two teams and these two quarterbacks can be prone to throwing interceptions or turning the ball over. And we've seen it. The Bengals are 0-2. That's a narrative that you and I talked about a long time ago. And you said the Bengals would be fine. And you were right about that. But when you turn the ball over multiple times in a game, it puts you at a severe disadvantage to win that game. And I think that the Bengals are going to have to keep that under wraps. They're going to have to get their passing game going, obviously, and protect Joe Burrow. That's the one thing that they've been knocked on the last couple of years. For the Bills, I think if the Bills just do their thing and Josh Allen doesn't turn the ball over, I think that they have the formula to win right there, but do they have that moxie to get it done? And I think that's what it'll come down to. I think it's going to be a close game. I'm not really sure who's going to win just yet. I'm not really getting a feel for the game, but I think it will be close and I think it will be worthy of our attention. So the Jaguars get that epic win and their consolation prize is getting to travel to Arrowhead and face 5,200-yard passer Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. The Jags are the sentimental favorite here in my book, but I feel like, man, the Chiefs just have to be way more talented. The Chiefs are definitely more talented. You know, if you put this on paper, they check the box in about every category as far as who has the advantage. But I, I think that sometimes, you know, we, you and I like to talk about sort of, you know, what are those, those things that lie in the margins? And having a week off is one of those things. I think there's something to be said, especially for the way the Jags played down the stretch that just be able to go out there week after week, repetition, muscle memory, uh, and, and to gain confidence. Now, a veteran coach like Andy Reid, guys like Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, they're not going to, they typically won't fall into those traps. But man, as a Colts fan, I watched Peyton Manning fall into that trap several times. You know, the Colts would be on cruise control going to the last few weeks of the season. He wouldn't play a whole lot. And next thing you know, the first time he's playing in three weeks is in the divisional round and, and they're flat. You know, I, the, the Chiefs weren't quite at that uh, level of advantage going into the postseason here because the number one seed was still at large down the stretch. But I, I think that the Jags need the Chiefs to come out a little flat, 
if they're going to have a chance um, this week. I think where this game is interesting is for the Jags last week, Brandon Staley, I think, was outcoached by Doug Peterson. But to your point, you already talked about it. Andy Reid, Hall of Fame coach, one of the best we've ever seen do it, especially in this generation, won a Super Bowl. I don't think those things affect him. I don't think that this team is going to come out flat. Maybe they come out a little bit rusty the first drive, something like that. But I think that they're a little bit past that. But I do agree with you, though, that teams that get that momentum, I think it's what makes the Jags and the Giants very, very dangerous. But they're getting up against really good competition. So at some point, talent just wins out. And I just feel like the Chiefs have had such a great season that honestly, even I know we said this about Mahomes last week, but the Chiefs even, 14 and three, it was like ho-hum yawn. They're 14 and three. I mean, 14 wins out of 17 is nothing to sneeze at. And they did it so under the radar that none of us really even batted an eyelash or noticed. And so they have to be mega talented. But I, I think that the coaching advantage is no longer there for the Jags. And that may be where the Chiefs end up winning in that margin because they have everything, including coaching behind them. Switching to the NFC, another team that got a bye was the Eagles. Now, the Eagles, unlike the Chiefs, had a little bit of turmoil at the end of the season. And now they get the upstart Giants. This game, to me, feels more like a trap game than Chiefs-Jags does. Well, this is almost like uh, the twin, right, of Chiefs-Jags. Very similar, a lot of similar storylines as far as talent disparity. But then you look at the underdogs, got a lot of momentum rolling because of the way they've been playing. But I would agree with you. I think that being, again, division rivals, they know each other better. The coaching advantage may be a more level playing field than it is in the Chiefs-Jags game, for sure. And... Again, that week off, you know, this is a team that this is sort of uh, this is uncharted territory for this team. A lot of guys on this roster, this head coach, this is uncharted territory a little bit having this week off where Andy Reid, a veteran Hall of Fame coach, you know, he knows he knows all the traps and and he's going to navigate around them. Where in this case, I don't think that you necessarily have that. I think that the Giants, what they lost both times to the Eagles, I believe. And it's really difficult to beat a division rival three times in a season. And so often the team that sweeps during the regular season ends up having to play another one of their division rivals in the playoffs. It's where it becomes tough. Dayball's got these guys rolling. The Eagles have a relatively young head coach. They have a relatively young squad in terms of Jalen Hurts and all that. I mean, they're playing well and they're very talented. But with that week off, What does it do to a young team? It's one thing for the Chiefs, who are a veteran team, a bunch of veteran guys, veteran head coach to get that. What does it do for this young team? I wonder if maybe that momentum, because remember, they had Minshew for two weeks. Hertz comes back because they have to play him because they want to get that bye. So Hertz plays and then he gets a bye and now he's coming back. Is he healthier? Sure. But is the team more cohesive? That's the part I think is worth noting. Yeah, they struggled on the stretch. I won't say they backed into the number one seed, but they definitely didn't finish with a bang by any means. Yeah, being a young team, and and then you wonder, you know, a lot of guys on that team, Jalen Hurts for one, Devonta Smith pops pops into my head. You know, those guys played for national championships with long layoffs in between games. So it's not that they haven't been here before, but this is a totally different setting. You're amongst professionals. The talent disparity that they had the advantage of at Alabama doesn't really exist anymore in the NFL. And the familiarity that is happening, especially with it being a division rival, is not something they dealt with so much at the college level. So uh, it's kind of be interesting to see where this kind of shakes out with all those different factors. But at the end of the day, I think one way or another, we are in for, uh, I think it's going to be a great football game. I do agree with you on that. And I think the Giants are going to come out punching. 
and maybe they don't have the gusto to get it through the rest of the of the game the way that the Seahawks didn't have it but it should be close in the fourth quarter last matchup will be the 49ers playing the winner of this game the Cowboys or the Bucks at this point both of these teams are sealed going to San Francisco I think that the Cowboys right now look like they're on the verge of winning this game unless they have some epic collapse they're playing very well if the Cowboys play up to their potential, they can beat anybody. And that includes the 49ers, because I think that, as you, as you said earlier, Brock Purdy, he's a third string guy. What happens when he doesn't have everything in place for him? And this Cowboys defense for most of the season, man, they were in that backfield of just about every single team and no quarterback, Tom Brady included, does well under that kind of pressure. Yeah, it's looking like Cowboys. They just scored again uh, to go up 24 to nothing, 25 to nothing pending the PAT. I think that one thing we're not considering with the Cowboys is sort of the pressure that's hanging over their head in Cowboys Nation uh, for this team to make it to a Super Bowl, to win a Super Bowl. And it'd be one thing if it's just the fans, but I think what's tough for this team is it's coming from the old guy sitting up in the owner's box. And he is very hands-on, right? I'm sure he's out there walking around every day at practice, walking around the locker room, smacking guys on the ass, saying, you know, let's go get one, boys, and all this stuff. And just that pressure has to make a difference somewhere, I feel like. And ultimately, though, at the end of the day, they're going to have to go to San Francisco. And what's nice, hey, we're getting an old 90s uh, playoff rivalry here, man. Cowboys and 49ers. This is a long ways from Troy, Troy Aikman and Joe Montana or Steve Young, but we'll take it. I think that, like you said, you know, Brock Purdy, is he going to be able to handle the pressure that's put on him uh, by the Cowboys defense uh, yet to be determined? But I have no doubt, you know, Kyle Shanahan's a great offensive coach, so he'll get creative about how to protect them. And ultimately, I mean, I picked the 49ers to, to go to the Super Bowl, so... I, I think that they'll be in good shape. 49ers do one thing well. They run the football very well, and I've noticed that their play calling, especially with guys like Debo Samuel, Brendan Ayuk, they're doing a lot of like bubble screens, you know, things like that, and it's been working big chunk plays type of thing. But I want to tell you, I think the Cowboys are under a lot of pressure, and I think it is Jerry, of course, because I think that the pressure for him to win a Super Bowl as a GM is continues to grow. But the Cowboys are so scrutinized on a national level. The pundits are all over them. I mean, Stephen A. Smith today was dressed up as a buck, basically. And he goes and trolls the Cowboys. That's how much of a brand they are. Everything that they do is scrutinized. So these four games will not get talked about equally. The Cowboys game will be talked about more. Can they overcome a third string quarterback? All these narratives. And I will say, as somebody who is not a huge Cowboys fan, I do feel like the narratives around them are a little bit unfair because they're damned if they do damned if they don't. If they lose to Brock Purdy, it'll be they couldn't even beat a third string quarterback. And that's not fair because Brock Purdy is not playing like a third string quarterback. And this franchise, maybe to your point last week, needs to get a Super Bowl. So maybe we can move on to something else. Yeah, unfortunately, I, mean, I really feel like they're in like a Super Bowl or bust mentality. The fans more than anything. I don't know if organizationally, if that's really where they're at. But I think the fans think it's Super Bowl or bust and they feel that their window might be closing a little bit, you know, with Dak and, you know, kind of the uncertainty that lies with him in general. But if you look back over the last decade or so, I mean, the Cowboys have been above average, you know, I mean, again, like we talked about with the Vikings and the Chargers, you know, they've they've had a, a decade of a stretch of time that a lot of other franchises would take in a second. Uh, it just, it, it is, it's the fact that it's America's team and they have a lot of fans they are a national brand 
And you either love them or you hate them in most cases. Yes, I do agree with that. I'm sure most people are on the hate side, but there is a huge fan base nationally. But either way, we got four games that are fixing to be very, very good. And hopefully they will all live up to their moniker. But before we get into our last segment, I want to get some predictions from you. Who do you have winning these games? I think that the Bills-Bengals game, one thing I do think you're going to see, we talked about DeMar Hamlin. It wouldn't surprise me, man, if you see him on the sideline, if he is in the stadium, this weekend for this game and and that's to maybe i hate to even say this but you know i almost feel like the bills might use him in this way for some sort of an emotional boost and not that they should if he's perfectly healthy and can go there the fans i'm sure would love to see him it'd be a good a good thing but also it's very convenient that it's right now against a uh against a tough team in the playoffs when you maybe need that extra little emotional boost I, man i really like the Bengals. they're my super super bowl pick I do think this is going to be an uphill battle, but I'm going to stick with the Bengals in this game. I'm going to hold off on Chiefs and Jags because I'll talk more about that one here a little bit later. Eagles-Giants, like we talked about earlier, this is going to be a ball game. I have a feeling that the Eagles need to come out and establish themselves from the get-go. If they get into a slugfest with the Giants, I think they might be in trouble. Uh, They can't let the Giants keep this game close. Hope's a dangerous thing. And if you let a team that's got some momentum that has that chip on their shoulder, that underdog mentality, you let them get a little hope and feel like, hey, they're they're one or two plays away from winning this game. They're going to make a run at it. That's going to be difficult. But ultimately, I'm going to take the Eagles. I do think they're the more talented football team. 49ers-Cowboys, which is what it looks like it's going to be. Again, I, I picked the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl, so I'm going to stick with them. But I do think the Cowboys will make it tough. I think they're going to pressure pressure the quarterback. And hopefully, you know, the 49ers, I'm sure, will take advantage of using Christian McCaffrey, uh, probably try to run some screens and things to slow down the pass rush, you know, different things like that. And I'm sure that Kyle Shanahan, like I mentioned, will get a little creative about his protections being the offensive guy that he is. So I will take the 49ers. Iceman, what do you think? I know that I picked the Bills to win the Super Bowl, but after watching them last week and thinking about it more, I think the Bengals probably feel like they have more to prove with the DeMar Hamlin situation than anything because I think that they felt screwed out of all that. I think that Joe Burrow is going to come in here. He's going to relish the idea about being with in front of Bill's mafia, hostile crowd, cold and all that. And I feel like he's going to come in here with the, that ice in his veins, like the ice man, really. And he's going to put on a performance. So I'm actually going to take the Bengals with that one. The Jags are a great story. The Chiefs are just way too talented. Give me the Chiefs in that one. Eagles, Giants. I feel like I want to pick an upset here. And I'm somebody who's given the Giants a little bit of grief over the last few years, but I'm not sold on the Eagles. And I really haven't been. I think that they are massively talented. This is the playoffs now. And this is where you have to take that step up. And Brian Dayball has these guys rolling and very, very confident. And I think that it's going to be a very close game. However, I think that in the end, the Eagles are too talented and will win a close game at home in that game. Coward. Yeah, no. And I said this to somebody earlier, it doesn't matter who's winning, Cowboys or Bucks, neither of them is beating the 49ers. So that right there is my pick. Getting close to the end, my friends, and that means it's time for OTW, starting off with Iceman's stat of the week. Now, I had two stats of the week for you, and one of them was dependent on the outcome of the game. So I'm going to give you the one that is not dependent on this game. The Baylor Lady Bears 
who obviously have had Brittany Griner on their team. They've won national championships. And up until recently, I think it was in 2020, they were coached by Kim Mulkey. They have had a great run. And this week, for the first time since 2004, they are not ranked in the top 25. That's an amazing run to be ranked in the top 25 for near 20 years. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. I think that you would probably have to, I don't know, look far and wide to find someone, find another program that has been ranked that highly for that long. One that pops into my head, though, that likely would fit that criteria is the Iowa wrestling team uh, in the ranked in the top 25 of college wrestling ranks, uh, which which is unique. It's a little smaller sample size, but uh, to do that's impressive. Uh, absolutely. And especially I think that college, uh, women's basketball at the NCAA level is getting more and more competitive. You're getting a lot of high level coaches in there that are putting good programs together. You know, it seemed like for a long time it was UConn, 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 Tennessee, UConn. And, and now it's nice to hear some of these other names popping up. The other stat that I had was if Tom Brady were to win this game, which it looks like he's not, he would have surpassed the win total for the entire Cowboys franchise in the playoffs. That would have been devastating. Wouldn't it? I mean, I would, again, a way I'd love to see it just because there are, there's a lot of Cowboy fans out there and it's, it's always fun to watch him grieve a little bit, but gosh, man, it, it kind of stinks. He's almost like pulling off to like Joe Montana with the Chiefs. It's kind of backing out on the end of his career. You know, he should have just hung her up after the Super Bowl a couple years ago. My friends, it is now time for Coach's Pick of the Week. Last week, he was on record as picking the Jacksonville Jaguars plus one over the Los Angeles Chargers. And for a majority of the game, his pick of the week looked absolutely horrible. In the end, though, coming out with a win to bring him to a wholly mediocre 6-6-2. Six, six, and two. Coach, please bless us with your pick of the week. Hear ye, hear ye gambling degenerates and peasants alike. I come to you again, six, six and two right now on our way to a robust seven, six and two. And as the old saying goes, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I took Trevor Lawrence out to a nice post game meal at the waffle house. And we had a nice conversation and I am fully confident in the Jacksonville Jaguars going into Arrowhead stadium this weekend and beating the Kansas City Chiefs. I have no idea what the line is. I don't care. I'm taking the Jags straight up. And if this game is on Saturday, it's a sure thing, 100%, because Trevor Lawrence, between high school, college, and the NFL, has never lost a game on a Saturday. Give me Trevor, Doug, and the Jags over the Chiefs. The Jacksonville Jaguars on Saturday, January 21st to defeat the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium. So let it be written. So let it be done. All right, buddy. That is the end of the episode. We had a little bit of a hang up at the beginning, a little behind the scenes, and uh, we recovered, I think, pretty nicely here. But it's going to be a banger week of football. And we're getting close to that time, man, where there's not much to talk about outside of other sports. We're going to have to we're going to have to widen our berth just a little bit. But until then, we have the playoffs until the Super Bowl and we are here. So what are your parting thoughts for the week? Well, in true uh, Iceman and Coach fashion, 
know, us here at the Iceman and Coach Sports Show, we are always worried about the human story, right? The human element. And right now, you may be listening to this, and your NFL team has been eliminated. Your college, you know, college football season's over. This is a tough time of year for a lot of people, uh, kind of lacking things to look forward to a little bit. I'm a big person where I, I love things to look forward to. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? You know, whether it's looking forward to the podcast or a game, whatever. I love you know, just sort of benchmarks to look forward to. It keeps me getting up and going every day. Uh, this time of year, that gets tough. Uh, those things are kind of fewer and further in between, and it becomes a tough time of year to sort of get yourself out of bed every morning and stay in a positive mindset. So I just encourage you to keep checking in here with Iceman and Coach. We'll keep coming at you with not only great sports content, but as football winds down, we'll find some other things to talk about, maybe some obscure sports or less popular sports along the way. And maybe we can just, uh, for an hour a day, take a little uh, little bit of uh, everyday life off your mind and give you a few laughs. However, before then, we just announced it this past Thursday, but on February 12th from 12 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you will get the big game pre-show Bedlam, which will not only be the Iceman and Coach Sports Show, it will be political football, it will be reading the defense, three podcasts, three hours, one network. It is going to be wonderful and a little bit of a tease. The coach and I are going to be giving out the Icy Awards at the end of the season. So I'm looking very forward to that. Look forward to some more details on that as the month goes along. But coach and I are going to make sure we have a very, very fun hour for you that may or may not include a call in line. So we'll see about that. Please support the Pub Time podcast wherever you find your podcast. They're now doing live streams. So that's a whole lot of fun. Visit MattySmedia.com to find all the other podcasts that we have as a part of our network. If you're listening on Apple and Spotify, please make sure to not only hit the follow button, but to rate and review. It means a lot and it keeps us growing, keeps us charting. It's been a wonderful week, my man. I want to thank everybody for coming out here. I hope this finds you well. Hope that this finds you safe. And as always, this is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.